A few weeks ago, we have paused the book of Colossians. We've been going through it verse by verse, and now we want to change during the summertime um, our um, theme of understanding church, church life. So for the last couple of um, sessions, we began his journey through the scripture. And I've preached these two messages in discovering from the word of God what he, God, intends for church life to be all about. Let me de- lay down summary for you. I want to be as clear as possible what we've discussed so far. And if I would sum it up um, in, in one phrase, if you like, it would be this. If you are a believer this morning, then God calls you to be an integral part of your local church. God calls you to be an integral part of your local church. The first message we spoke about that only in a church life and no other institution, none but the local church alone, God exclusively gave the privilege to proclaim the gospel. Only in the context of the church, where the beauty of our intertrinitarian God is on display. It is in the local church where we have this privilege to enter into the joy of having a deep fellowship with our spiritual family. In fact, if we're struggling to relate to our spiritual brothers more uh, in a stronger and more bonding way than, than our earthly siblings, it is a concern. It is a concern. Because it's an indication that we're still struggling to relate to God as our spiritual father. You'll be spending eternity with your spiritual siblings, so we'll better get used to it from now. If you want to know more about this uh, message, please, I would encourage you to go ahead and download it from the internet. Then the second message we spoke about and the title was commitment to the local church is not an option. It's not that we wake up in the morning and we say, okay, what's in the menu? Live my own life? Commit to the local church. Ah, I'll choose one of the two depending on how I feel today. No. Being committed to a well-defined, tangible group of believers in a very specific way is not an option. Why? Why is this the case? Well, because in the context of the local church, you can verify your claim that you're a Christian. Is it really true or is it not? It is in the context of a local church you can do this. And we also looked at that it's in the context of the local church where brothers would um, love you enough to point out to you those deceptive sins in your life that your eyes cannot see. Number three, again in the context and only in the context of commitment to the local church where we can obey all the one another commands. Verse 
And if you want to know more about this, go ahead and download the second message in this series. But for this message, for today, we want to examine what does it really mean to be committed to a local church? Biblically, not man's opinion, not how we were brought up, but what does God have to say about this in his word? What does it mean to be committed to a local church since it is not an option? Does God say only attending two hours a week where we clock on and as soon as the last song is sang, we clock off? Is this what the word of God says? Is it that I have a proper understanding of the Lord's day? Not just the morning, but the morning and the evening. And so coming to the morning and the evening, but I only get to see it as you would see a footy match. As soon as the referee whistles, you know, the time is up, it's the end of the game, I'm out of here without building any relationship with brothers and sisters in our local community. Is this the commitment to the local church that God calls you and I to have? I stand upon God's word and I say to you, if your understanding of that commitment to the local church reaches that and only that and it stops at that, if this is your understanding, let me tell you that this understanding is unbiblical. It's not correct, or at least I should say it's not complete. What I mean by that is, of course, your commitment on a weekly basis where you come to this gathering and um, even evening fellowship and uh, be fed uh, by the word of God is great. It's, it's wonderful. Of course, you can only apply what you learn, 100%. But remember the passage that we read last week? We'll begin from there in First John chapter 3, verse 14. And let me read it to you one more time. John says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love attending the church. We love Bible studies. We know that we've passed from death to life if we love listening to sermons. No. Because we love the brethren. And he who does not love abides in death. It's about loving the brethren. And what is the expression of love? You know what the expression is? Sacrificial service. So what do I title this message? Here it is, I bring it before you, forthrightly, just there in your face, if you like. (laughs) Serving the local church is not an option. Dear brothers, dear sisters, if you truly want to be an obedient child of God, If you truly want your joy in the Lord to multiply 
10,000 times more than serving your brothers in your local church in a very practical and sacrificial way is not an option. Or some say, oh, well, that's your own interpretation. What do you mean? Love means sacrificial service. You don't have to interpret it this way. Brothers, how else can we interpret the same epistle, 1 John, when John himself defines for us what love is and he says, we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to do what? Lay down our lives for the brothers. So this morning I want to persuade you. It would be biblically healthy and empowering if when all of us get off our seats, roll up our sleeves and actively and tirelessly serve the brethren in this local community. Why? Because brothers, only when you're serving your brothers in this way for Jesus' sake that you can say you're committed to the local church. And only then you'll experience a mutual, spiritual, supernatural, grace-filled, fulfilling life. And so my goal is to persuade you and to plead with you and to urge you serving the local church, brothers, according to the scripture, is not an option. And what do you mean? What do you mean in serving my brothers here I will experience grace-filled life? Well, what does that mean? Why can't I experience this fulfilling life by having a cup of coffee, a hot chocolate or something, and I sit in my reclining chair at home and read the Bible or by coming and attending all the studies, are you saying that this is not good enough? That's not what I'm saying. But this is what our Heavenly Father is saying. Where do we get this from? Please turn to James chapter 2 verse 14. James chapter 2 and verse 14. And that's the first point. We'll have two points. The first point is your heavenly father is calling upon you to serve your brothers in this local church practically. And in verse 14, James says, what use is it? Meaning, what good is it? What's the point? James says, my brethren. Imagine standing behind the pulpit, he's addressing the local community, saying, what's the point, brethren? What's the point of what? If someone says he has faith and has no works, what is works? It is service, right? Works is service. Can that faith save him? It's a rhetorical question. And what is the answer that James is expecting of us to say? The answer is, no way. Faith that has no service can't save. 
Now, what do you mean, works or service? What do you mean, James? James continues, and he tells you exactly what he means. Verse 15, if a brother or sister, not a stranger off the street, he doesn't want you to look outside of the street. He wants to look next to you, in front of you, behind of you. If a brother or sister, that is the local church, is without clothing and in need of daily food, verse 16, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? What's the point of what you're doing? It's like you're coming to be entertained or something. And so he finishes with verse 17 and he says, even so, if it had, even so, faith, if it has no works, no service, faith without serving a local church is dead. Doctrine without deed done unto the body of Christ is dead. It's not my phone. <laughs> so, <clears throat> if you know that there is a brother in need, and you say, you know, brother, you know, I just, I just read a great quote by Charles Spurgeon, so edifying to me, and and he gave me um, just tingling feeling and. And I just had to run into my room and listen to a song and, and it gave me watery eye. In fact, as I'm thinking about this quote now about, I don't know, the sovereignty of God is, it's giving me goosebumps, brother. Oh, I've got an idea. How about you go home? Because, because I need to go to my warm house, have a good dinner so I can have a good sleep. And James says, without serving this blood-bought brother of Christ, this brother that the Lord added to your local church, if you do not serve him and you say all these things, he's saying to you, are you serious, man? Are you out of your mind? Because this kind of God talk without this God acts, it is outrageous. It is nonsense. First John 3. Now, John says, you don't have to turn now. I'll just read it. Just pay attention, please. It says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother, his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And it's like John is saying, please explain. How could it be that the love of God really abides in you and your brother is in need and you don't meet that need? Please explain. How does that work? He continues on. And he says, little children, 
Little children. Let us not love in word. Texting, viber. Let us not just love in that. Or talk. But indeed, that is practical love. And in truth. You know what he's saying? He's saying this. He's saying, you are dear children. Don't just love in theory or just out of convenience. Let it be practical, real, sincere, sacrificial service. Why is that? Because your spiritual brothers belong to the same father. They have the same DNA as yours, as your father's DNA, the same nature. You know, when I was a child since my teenage years, I didn't know why, but whenever I had a fight with my brother, just he used to frustrate my dad. I, I had no idea why. If, if I ever wanted to drive my dad mad, don't do this, kids, but all I needed to do is to pick on my brother. And I kind of thought, why is this the case? Why? I don't remember many times I had a chat with my dad and I said, Dad, it's got nothing to do with you, Dad. I, I, I'm just having a, a fight with my, my brother. And he would always respond this way. He would say, both of you are flesh of my flesh. Both of you carry my DNA. And, and if you lack love for one another, it's like my flesh has been torn apart. And I have to be honest, I never understood what he meant by that until I had my own children. Brothers, if you're a father, I'm sure you get this. And if you're not a father yet, you need to get this. You know, one of the most heart-wrenching things for parents is when their children who live under their roof don't have genuine love for one another. Imagine if your son comes to you and he says with all sincerity, Dad, I, I love talking to you. It's just that I don't love hanging out with my brother. Or I love serving you, Dad, but I just don't love serving my brother. What is your natural reaction would be? How would you feel about this? And brothers, if we being evil, yet we know that this would be absurd, would be crazy. How much all the more our heavenly father, who is full of compassion, will be greatly displeased if all that we do is that we come to this gathering hear a sermon, go home, and we are clueless about the needs of our brothers in this local church. Right? On the contrary, if we genuinely care and take initiatives, and rather than being consumers only, but be providers in a very practical way to our brothers who are in this community for Jesus' sake, Oh, how the heart of God would be greatly pleased. And if this is the case, if we're truly longing to see the smile on the face of our Heavenly Father, 
How? By washing the feet of our brothers. How can we not be certain that we together would have this supernatural, fulfilled, grace-filling life in us? Of course we would be certain, right? You want to have this supernatural life that you live that cannot be explained? Throw yourself at the feet of your, your brethren. Get on your knees. Scrub their feet. And you will have that. Because God will be pleased with you. But that's not enough. That's not all. We'll go to the second point. Not just practical. But your heavenly Father is calling you. This is going to be outrageous as well. To serve your brothers in a local church relationally. And even this is not an option. Serving relation. Meaning this. Meaning showing to your brothers the affections of Christ. Where do we get this from? Ephesians 4. Please turn to Ephesians 4. <clears throat> okay, so this is the second point. Ephesians 4. And we're reading from verse 1. And Paul says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, beg you, <laughs> implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. How? He's begging you. He's imploring you, he's beseeching, he's entreating, he's pleading. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. How? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Not showing tolerance to your neighbor. That's not the point of this. Now, showing tolerance to your wife, though that is important. Showing tolerance for one another in love. Verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in a bond of peace. What does it mean to be diligent? Meaning you're willing to make every effort to do what? Preserve actively, tirelessly, on the clock. You work hard behind the scene and in front of the scene, on top and underneath the scene, preserving the unity of the Spirit in a bond of peace. So verse 1, the first word, what's the first word, that long word? Therefore. What does this mean, Therefore. Paul here is connecting everything he said so far. All He's pulling together all his thoughts from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way down to the last verse of chapter 3. He says, therefore, because of what I said. Well, what did you say, Paul? Let me summarize these three chapters um, to you. Chapter 1. Because the Father lavished his heart upon us and chose us. Chapter 2. 
Because when you all were dead in sin, scattered, and each one aimlessly lived his life purposely, lost in this world, yet Jesus shed his blood for you all. He saved you all. He purchased your unity. He brought you together to himself as one. As though you are his body and Christ is the head. And in even chapter 3. Because the son of God shattered the walls of division among you. Age wall, ethnic wall, gender wall. All walls were shattered by the blood of Christ. And he invaded your lives. And he transformed you all. And together gave you the strength of God. So that together you all would hold hands. And with one heart would drown yourself in this vast ocean of God's mercy and love. And be satisfied in him who fills you all and in all. Therefore. Because of these wonderful things, Paul says, I urge you, I plead with you with all of my heart, I implore you to do what? To be diligent in that maintaining the unity of the Spirit, maintaining the unity owned, of, owned by the Spirit. Maintain it. Why? I, the prisoner of the Lord. Because this supernatural blood-bought unity, it costed me, Paul says, imprisonment in order for you to live out this unity. And so for Jesus' sake, for the sake of his precious blood, I am willing to suffer imprisonment for it. Why? So that in this unity you could enjoy the Savior. See, brethren, there is a point I want to bring to you at this point. This individual, private, spiritual, individualistic life where one wants to live in his own little island and wants to worship this false trinity, me, myself, and Jesus... It doesn't exist in the scripture. It does not. Christian life is not private. Yes, it is personal, but it's not private. And Paul here blows it out of the water. Christianity, what is Christianity? It's not about a private relationship with God. Christianity is about a corporate relationship with God. Not jumping from one um local church to another or Christian group to another in order to run away from commitment. No, it can only be done properly in the context of a local church. Well, very well. So far, so good. But how do we do this? How do we serve according to this passage? How do we preserve the unity of the Spirit? Now let's look at verse 2. Look. Let's read it. <clears throat> With all humility... And gentleness, with 
patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. They're all affections here, brothers. All of these are affections. So how do we preserve the unity? It's not by sitting down and listening to a sermon. Right? It's not that we see each other in Bible studies and high fives each other. It's not just practically, though practically is important. It's not practically while I leave my emotions and my affections at home. Brothers, there's no glory in cooking a meal for a brother or a sister of Christ and then you find yourself dragging your feet to their house and you say, there you go. I didn't really want to cook this for you, but I guess I have to love you. doesn't work that way. You know, this, this verse, verse 2, can be summed up in two words. Christ's affection. This is something that the world can never cultivate. You're in a desperate need for Christ in order to show his affections. Christ's affection. We have got to communicate the affections of Christ to one another as we are serving one another practically. In other words, we must dive into the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and then our heart would be filled with the love of Christ, intoxicated with this awesome love of Christ and by this then we serve one another by showing the affections of whom? Of Christ. By our actions, by our words, we put in display this beauty, magnificence of Christ to one another. And as we drown ourselves in the personhood of Jesus, and then you come out of this ocean and you want to serve the brethren, the brethren then would be blown away. That would be awestruck, not by you, but by the all-glorious Christ who is in you that is now made visible by showing his affections to them. That's a Christian life. That is what God is calling each and every one of us to do. This is what it's meant to be when we want to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Well, let's break it down because that's not enough. I feel like this is just still very high level. We need to, we must break it down. So we start with all humility. Let us examine our hearts. Is this you? Are you preserving the unity of the Spirit with all humility? Not a little bit, but with all. What do we do? What does this mean? Can we see humility anywhere else better than to see it in Jesus Christ? While Christ is enthroned as God, how beautiful is He when you know this greatest being in the universe while maintaining that greatness? He humbled himself to take on the form of a man. And in all humility, brothers, 
this greatest person in the universe sought your interest above his. Even to the point of death on the cross, serving you as though he is your slave, brothers and sisters. What a humility. And so you too serve, show in words and in actions, tell your brothers, I want to love you this way. I want to love you like Christ. I want to seek your interest above mine. So help me, God. Tell the brethren, oh, brother, it is my pleasure, my privilege to serve you sacrificially. Tell them that. Your brothers love to see and hear from you these words of, that show humility. Learn how to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Another thing to serve with humility, brothers, it means is to serve without being eager to want to be recognized. You don't seek your own recognition, brother. You don't. That is not humility. You don't want the plot of man. No matter how much you serve, seek the humility of Christ. You serve without expecting thank you. You serve and the very last thing in your mind is to hear words from your brother, well done. That's what it means to preserve the unity with all humility. And what is the second word? Gentle. Gentle. Examine yourself. Is this an affection that you need to grow into? Gentleness. What does it mean to be gentle? It's not timid or weak. It's, it's to bring power under control. You see it in no better person than whom? Jesus Christ. Even Jesus, he said, learn from me, for I am what? Gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus is gentle, brothers. Learn from Jesus his gentleness. How did he show his gentleness? When the soldiers came to arrest him in the garden. And then he said to Peter, what did he say to Peter? Do you think I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me 12 legions? This is gentleness on steroids. Jesus, with a flick of a finger, could have annihilated all his sold, all those soldiers. But he went to the cross like a sheep to the slaughter. Gentle person means when, when accused, even though you could fight back, but like Christ, you want, you won't defend yourself. You won't take vengeance because you're gentle at heart. You won't grumble at home. You won't gossip or slander your brothers who belongs to your local church. You just don't do that if you're gentle. You could, but you will not. You die to self. 
A gentle person won't condemn another brother in Christ in a local church. He won't point his finger and say, Ah, oh, I read your heart like an open book. I've got, I've got the gift of this. I know exactly why you do what you do. I can see fear and, and pride in you. It's harsh. You don't condemn a brother. Gentle is <laughs> gentle. It's harmless. It's being harmless. You serve your brethren by showing them the gentleness of Christ. Are you gentle? Are you gentle? Do you need to grow in this? Don't we all? And do you know what a gentle spirit will communicate to your brothers? It will communicate that you're approachable. Right? They can open their heart to you because they know they won't need to walk on eggshells when they come and approach you. They know they won't be condemned. They don't have to be perfect before they come and seek your help, right? When was the last time a person came to you, put his guards down and communicated his own flaws? Not flaws of another, but his own flaws. If really... If hardly ever could it be because you're not showing that gentleness of Christ. So they are scared to approach you. Well, what will a gentle person be? Patient. Patience. Patient. Bear with me as I explain to you what patience is. Endure. Endure the rest of the sermon. What is patience? It's endurance with long suffering. You're enduring what? Well, in the context of this, when it says preserve the unity of the Spirit, you're enduring the flaws and the failures of your brethren, right? A Christian who gets angry really quickly and says, oh, I had enough, I'm getting sick and tired of this, hasn't learned the, the virtue of this, the value of this virtue, sorry, right? A patient Christian is a Christian who's convinced that he's so sinful and he is broken over his sin. And yet, he recognizes that Christ is still long-suffering and is patient with him. And he learns this. He enjoys this from Christ and he applies it in his life. He's so grateful for Jesus that he's so enduring and is so patient with him. And so what does he do? He becomes patient with it towards his brothers. Let me tell you this. This is very important. You can't give what you don't have. But that's not all. You can't have what you don't first enjoy in Christ. Do you get this? You will never have patience unless you first enjoy it in Jesus Christ. The affections of Christ. Now the fourth affection. Showing tolerance for one another in love. Showing tolerance for one another. Not for your cousins. 
not for your earthly siblings, for one another, that is the local church. Whenever you see the word one another, you can just simply replace it with the members of your local church. Okay? Showing tolerance for one another in love. What does this mean, love? It is unconditional. It's not expecting anything back in return. You're willingly wanting to serve with a pure heart. And you are joyful when you serve others. That's what it means. Love for the brethren means that we care for their physical and spiritual condition. We care about the brethren. And it presses upon us to be like Christ and to serve them and to serve them and to serve them much more. And it turns us into a candle always burning in order to guide others to a better place. Serving a local church, brothers, practically and relationally, not an option. If we want our joy in the Lord to multiply, serving them, giving them our goods, showing them the affection of Christ is not an option, brothers. Well, as we come to the end, I've got a few things to, to share with you. Let's just first reflect. Did you ever think maybe that this is what God is about? That is not just about you, person, singular you. That is not just about you, your own personal, private, spiritual life as kind of like, you know, bodybuilding. You know what bodybuilders do? You know, where, uh, you know, your quiet time becomes like bench press. And you say, hey, how are you going to? Oh, I had long quiet time as I've bench pressed, you know, uh, 50 kilos today. And you kind of want to look in front of the mirror and look at your spiritual biceps, how they're going, so that you display to the world your, your spiritual virtues. God wants you to serve. He saved you to be part of a family and because, because your love for our Heavenly Father is genuine, then you are to give of your time, money, and effort to your brothers. And which brothers? Even the brothers who have flaws and you know their flaws. Could it be that God placed you with them so you can help them? Right? Could that be right? And that may really be the kind of life that God is interested in. The kind of life in the church where you lay down your life in love for your brothers. That's maybe what it means to have a grace Life, fulfilled Christian life, having the ability to love, like Jesus said in John 13, 35, the whole world would know by your love for one another. Maybe that's how God wants us to think about what a church life is. Not about you being only a consumer, but also a contributor, a provider. Right? 
But let's, let's have some, I think I've got five practical insights, applications, five applications, and we're done. First, I want to address those elderlies among us. Because I don't want them to misunderstand me. I, you're an elder, I want to address you first before you, you sleep on me. <laughs> Some elderlies would say, but I don't run in full capacity anymore. I'm, I'm a lot slower now. It's very hard for me to come, to attend, let alone serve. What do you mean? What can I do? I feel condemned. Not at all. I am not saying you're condemned. Absolutely not, brothers and sisters. Have you heard of the 90-10 rule? The 90%, 10% rule? Or 80, 20, depending on how much energy you have? In that, it goes this way. You might say, well, I've been running. When I was a youth, I was running full throttle, serving and being served and praising God. I'm everywhere, almost, almost, not exactly there, but almost omnipresent, you know, serving every brother. And But now look at me, I'm running on 10% capacity. Will God really condemn you in the fact that you don't have 90%? No. What does God require of you? You know what God is requiring of you? These 10% that you have to use how much of it in serving the brethren? Lay down your life. What does that mean? Don't worry about the 90%. What about the 10%? Can you offer God this 10%, 100% of that 10%? Are you willing to do so? Or do you use your license in the fact that you don't have the 90%, therefore these 10%... I'll keep it to myself. 10% use it for 100% in prayer. Your brethren here would love for you to pray for them, right? You can do that, can't you? Or if God blesses you with money, to give them that money. Give them food. Give them clothes. Find out what their needs are and do something with that 10%. Right? So this applies to you, my dear elderly brothers and sisters. All right? The second thing is serving individual members is serving the church. We have this misconception. I had a sister of mine that came to me once before and she said, Ah, I'd love to serve the church. How can I serve the church? I said to her, look, there is a sister of ours. She's got uh, children and she's in a, in a, at a point where she's really in need of some help. Um, maybe you can go and take care of her children or do something. She needs this. And then in which she responded back to me and she said, yes, yes, sure, I'll do this, but how can I serve the church? I got a little bit confused, only to realize what she was asking was, oh, how can I serve on Sunday morning? Sisters, brothers, that church is not locked in within two hours on Sunday morning. The church exists 24-7, Right? And so, yes, 
We need people to um, serve in Sunday morning, absolutely. But don't limit your service to only two hours and then you shrink, you choke the joy in the Lord for only two hours a week when the brothers everywhere are crying for help. Go help them during the week. Second, third, let's go a bit deeper and a bit more um, maybe Touching some live nerves. Serve the church with your money. I don't mean the offering. Although, feel free to put more money in the offering. I don't mean that. But what do you mostly spend your money on? What do you mostly spend your money on? Couches, buying clothes, investment properties. Or food for your brothers who are in need. You know, providing accommodation and transportation for them. Now, I am not saying don't have investment properties or do not renovate your house. Absolutely not. My God bless you with a huge portfolio, right? Praise God if he does. But if he does, how about as you're making profit? Spend it on the need of your brothers. Or when you renovate your house, don't be that selfish and draw a circle and say, um, the person in the center of this circle is the person who gets to enjoy this renovation and then you place yourself and your family in it and you put everyone outside. No. Renovate for the sake of being more hospitable to your brethren. The bottom line is this, show me your bank account transactions and I will show you how much you love the brethren and want to serve them. Right? Something to consider. All right, number four. I think it's up to, we're fourth now. So I think I've only got one more. Serve the local church by spending time with your brothers. Again, what are you spending your time mostly on? Entertainment, outing, holidaying. Do you know it would be the greatest absurdity on the face of this planet if you claim, I want to lay down for the brethren, that's how much I want to love them, and you don't spend any time with them. It doesn't make sense. Again, I'm not saying don't holiday, a holiday. Enjoy your time out with your family and, and your rest. But when you rest, rest for Jesus' sake so that you can serve the body more, so that you lay down your life for, for the brethren in a far more effective way. So please don't spend 80% of your time in your leisure watching the TV with the remote control in your hand. And then say, I'm resting for Jesus' sake. And somehow you expect to grow in the joy of the Lord. It doesn't make sense. How do you do that? Meet your brother's needs. Ah, oh, but I don't know their needs. How sad would it be if we don't know one another's needs? How sad would that be? If you love them, 
then you've got to start with taking initiative to get to spend time with them. Take initiative. Don't wait for them to come to you. Go to them. Jesus, when he saw you in your sin, he didn't wait for you. He took initiative and came down to serve you. And we love that, right? We love this about Christ. Shouldn't we do the same? Shouldn't we take initiative? Go out of your way and get to know the brethren. Last one. You can serve the brethren by arriving to the church gathering early. And we finish with this point. And here I'm going to get off the stage. I'm going to (laughs) run. Come to the church early. Let me tell you why. When you always come 10 minutes late every week to the gathering, do you know what it's communicating to everyone else? It's communicating, I'm here to be served. I want everything to be prepared for me to enjoy my life. People to prepare food, to uh, turn on the hot water, to turn on the air conditioning, to set up everything and clean everything and tidy up everything. And when everything is done and dusted, then my majesty will arrive. Really? I understand. I understand that there are some restrictions, that we have children, that some of us are sick or unwell. So I understand if you don't come once or twice or every now and then. But if you do it week by week and it becomes a pattern where you could have woken up 10 minutes earlier so that you can come on, you know, 10 minutes early to the service, why don't you? Ah, it's very hard for me to get out of bed. Go to sleep 10 minutes early. Right? Show the brethren that you want to serve them. Show them that you want to serve them. Come, outdo one another. Fight on who comes and cleans the, the toilets and, and, and prepares the food. Come, let us love one another and outdo one another in that kind of love. Seek each other's interests above yours. What an awesome holy fighter would be when you say, no brother, I've got to serve you. And another brother says, no brother, I've got to serve you. And we do church discipline because of that. (laughs) What an awesome thing, right? All right, we've gone over time, so I'm just going to stop here. And I pray that we all would reflect on, on what is said and Really apply in our lives. You might not be able to apply 100%. He says, that's too much. Well, apply 20%. Begin somewhere. Right? Let's pray. Look, God, you made it very clear to us how to seek you in real life. Your word is not obscure. It doesn't require big brains to understand it. It just requires simple minds. It's not hard to understand. It's just hard to swallow. 
But Lord, we pray that Christ becomes front and center, the very motive of why we die to ourselves and live the way you intended for us to live. May Christ fill our hearts with his presence. May he burn in our hearts a strong desire to pursue him no matter the cost. And in pursuing him, we obey him. We serve him by serving his people. And we pray this in his name. Amen.